Welcome back to Behind the Screens. I'm Matthew Liebman from Movio. And I'm Simon Burton from Numero. Very exciting episode today, Matthew. Yeah, we're going to talk to Movio's outgoing founder and CEO, our mate William Palmer. But before we do Will's exit interview, why don't we go through the box office this weekend? Yes, why don't we? Let, let's take a look at what was uh, raking in the cash on screens this past weekend. The major wide release in the domestic market was West Side Story, taking in $10.5 million domestically, uh, a global total of $15 million. Uh, it opened in 37 international markets outside North America and took a total of $4.4 million in those 37 international markets. Not a huge result there internationally, but you've obviously got a lot of COVID concerns in a number of those markets it was opening. Um, and I dare suggest that the, the slightly older skewing audience are more reluctant to head out to the, the movie theatres at the moment. If we look at other titles uh, in the domestic market, some strongholds in the second and third position in Canto, Number two with $9.5 million only dropped 28% from the previous weekend. And Ghostbusters Afterlife rounding at the top three with $7.1 million or a minimal drop of 31% for that title as well. If we look at global achievements, Venom Let There Be Carnage is a smidge of $500 million worldwide, half a billion dollars US worldwide. So it's a great result for, for Venom Let There Be Carnage. Why don't we uh, take a look at the audience though that did come out for, for West Side Story? Simon, as you say, the results were more modest. And so just as a reminder, when we look at audience, we're not looking at the size of the pie, just the way it's been sliced up. Uh, and what we've seen here is that the most similar movies for opening weekend audiences include House of Gucci, Little Women, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's In the Heights, La La Land, Dear Evan Hansen, and A Star Is Born. Uh, when I compared the audience, what I've done is take from that subset just Dear Evan Hansen and In the Heights, because the three have been grouped together, perhaps unfairly, but uh, grouped together as post-pandemic musicals. Uh, Evan and Heights had 60% of their audience in the infrequent category versus 37% for West Side Story. And that shows a degree of overlap and that this particular movie didn't pull people back into the cinemas for the first time. Uh, whether it was those two films or something else that they'd seen so far, um, most of them had already been into the theatre since the pandemic. The two benchmark titles followed the opening weekend age profile relatively closely. So when we look at all moviegoers, they skewed a little bit younger, but not massively. Maybe uh, driven a little bit by Evan Hansen's fan base or Lin-Manuel Miranda for In the Heights. But by comparison, West Side Story skewed very heavily older. Uh, they had 48% of the audience aged 55 or more, compared to just 26% for those two benchmark titles. Also, while West Side Story has outperformed uh, in the female side of the audience, it's far less female skewing than Evan and In the Heights uh, combined for their opening weekend audiences. And both males and females outperformed the benchmark at the 55 or older age group. So while um, the, the box office and the admissions might be modest, it certainly did pull heavily from that older cinema going audience. One last thing to call out, I compared West Side Story to Just in the Heights to look at the, uh, the diversity of the audience. And in the US, both those titles, In the Heights and West Side Story, outperformed amongst Caucasians. And both of them were right on benchmark for all opening weekend titles for the Hispanic audience. And so despite the stories touching those, that community, 
we didn't see the audience come out in disproportionately large, uh, large numbers there for neither uh, West Side Story or In the Heights. So not much more in terms of box office to talk to this weekend. Why don't we just uh, pivot straight to the interview? Great idea. Let's do it. Our guest today is William Palmer, the co-founder and CEO of Movio. Now, usually at this point, I dive into some detailed introductory bio so that listeners understand my guest credentials and background. But that's the whole purpose of today's discussion, which Simon's joining as well. And, and the reason for that is because we're speaking to Will on his second last day at Movio. So before we dive in, let me just say that this is a bittersweet moment for, for Simon and me. Um, I'm at Movio because Will gave me a shot and now I'm coming up to more than seven years, which is much longer than I've worked for any other company by a fair way. And that's, that's because Will's leadership has inspired me and it's challenged me. And, you know, every now and then it's amused me as well. Great bloke. One of the, the most uh, enjoyable colleagues I've had the pleasure of working with in the last 10 years. And Will's also been instrumental in the setup of Numero and supporting me since I came on board in 2013. So yeah, apologies if I tear up at some point throughout this this interview. You are a big softie. We'll fix it in post. So why don't we jump into the questions? Welcome, Will. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Simon. So let's start at the end. It's been 11 years since you founded Movio. Um, why have you chosen now as the time to, to make a move? Probably because I've never felt more confident that the, uh, the business being Movio and the industry is in safer hands. Um, I know that sounds crazy given we've just gone through such a cra- uh, you know a massive pandemic. But for me, there was always this question at every convention I ever went to around the windows and what was going to happen one day when somebody decided to collapse the windows and would that be the death nail of the industry? And, and I guess that threat always sat in the back of my mind as being something that would be um, would be pretty massive for the whole the whole cinema sector. Uh, fast forward through the pandemic, and that's now been trialled by a number of the studios, and I think they've landed at a place which is far more sensible for both parties, uh, which has given me some confidence that that uncertainty has gone away. So I think that was probably the first thing that I felt confident that the cinema theatrical business was in, in safe hands and it had settled. Uh, and the second really is that in my heart, I'm an entrepreneur, um, and I, I think I thrive developing new products and solving new problems. Uh, and the challenge of connecting moviegoers um, with their ideal movie is, is far from solved. Um, but the Movio leadership team has been with me for more than seven years, uh, and they deserve an opportunity to stamp their mark on Movio and the industry. And so it just felt like the opportune moment to hand the baton over to a very competent team when the industry's in great shape. Let's now jump back to the beginning. Uh, what was the catalyst for starting Movio back 11 or so years ago? Yeah, um, I think the catalyst, frankly, was empty cinemas. You know, I was a, a cinephile, as was my co-founder, Peter Begley, and both of us went to movies all the time. And we, I can't remember exactly which movie we were in, but it was a fantastic film and a great seat with a great screen, with great sound. And it was at about an 18% occupancy, which upon sort of more investigation turned out to be the average at that time. And it just didn't make sense. How could you have such an amazing experience? And, and so many people... Uh, missing out on seeing these films in theatre or missing out on seeing these films altogether. Uh, And so the insight was if you were able to work with the exhibitors um, who had um, obviously access to the data through whether it was a loyalty program or an online ticket sale uh, and you were able to do something with that data to try and identify and segment audiences and then work with distributors who had all the marketing money uh, that they're already putting into advertising the films, we could get better cut through and get better results for the whole industry. And so uh, we were pretty determined to try and see if we could make that work. And I guess that's been the quest from the beginning. 
So, well, you touched on serving cinema exhibitors for the last decade. What are the most significant industry changes you've observed over that time? Uh, and how did you lead Movio to adapt to those changes? I think the biggest changes over that time have actually just recently occurred and are probably still playing out. Um, I think by and large, yeah, there's, there's been advancements and experience and there's been definite improvements in uh, in data capture and marketing and lots of things have changed. I think everything's evolved, albeit relatively slowly over most of that 10 years until we arrive at the pandemic. And I think everything has been shunted forward sort of 10 years. Uh, and so I think the biggest changes are happening as we speak. Uh, you know, the, the integrated offerings uh, with uh, studios and distributors, uh, where you're seeing, uh, you know, universes being created uh, between uh, the streaming platforms and uh, what's happening in cinema and those things being like a symbiotic story that's running across both channels. I think that's really interesting. Um, the, the sort of the long game that you're seeing with the Marvel Universe and to a lesser de degree the, the DC world as well is really fascinating. I think um, what's happening with digital marketing, because obviously that's a space that Movio plays in, uh, you know, there's been a 300% growth uh, in the uh, the uh, spend by studios on digital post-pandemic versus pre-pandemic uh, and the proliferation of channels that people can now choose to market through is, is just, um, you know, almost unlimited. So I think there's been a huge change uh, in the way that things are marketed. The short-form videos now become a huge part of how people learn and, and, and uh, digest content and advertising. Uh, and then finally, uh, online ticket sales have, have, have finally taken off. You know, it's been stuck you know, the global number at around quarter of all ticket sales were sold online, uh, now well over half, are, and that's all as a result of the pandemic as well. So all those things mean really big changes for companies like Movio, where when you've got so much more um, moviegoer data coming through and so much more ability to influence people across all those digital channels, uh, and you've got these integrated offerings to work with, I think it's a really exciting time for, for Movio and for Numero as well to be able to uh, reach moviegoers in a far more sophisticated way. Uh, I think there's a lot to come and still there's got to be a lot of adaption change around experience in cinema, but I still think that's going to be, take some time to play out. So yeah, that's probably the key things that have uh, that have really changed. So as you look back on your time at Movio, Will, what jumps out as some of the, the aspects that you're proudest of? Probably again recently. Um, you know, Movio's collective response to the pandemic was remarkable. Uh, and I'd say Vista Group's response was remarkable. I think the industry's response was remarkable. The fact that we're all here today uh, with very few casualties after such a long period of closure is remarkable. Um, you know, we lost 70% of our revenue almost overnight. Um, we were on phone calls with all of our customers very, very quickly trying to work through together how was it we were going to, um, to survive this? How long was this going to last? How serious was this really? Was this really going to be the end? Uh, and then amongst all that uncertainty, all of our staff and all of our teams had to work from home, uh, as did so many others. Um, and that in itself sounds like an amazing sort of uh, period to get through. But during that time, uh, the Movio team completely rebuilt uh, the entire platform that we started 11 years ago from scratch. And it's due to be released sometime around CinemaCon next year. And they did it all remotely. They did it all from home with less staff and less resource than ever before. Um, I, I'm just immensely proud of, of how the team has pulled together to make that happen. Uh, and so now I believe that Movio is in a better position now after the pandemic than it ever was prior. So, um, yeah, very, very proud that, that um, and it's against such a backdrop of such adversity, uh, the team pulled together and did something so remarkable. 
So I guess, mate, on the flip side, and this may be the pandemic again, uh, setbacks or hard lessons that you've learned over the last 11 years, can you share any of those? Yeah, I mean, look, there's been so many uh, lessons to learn um, around the world. Uh, I think probably for me, um, apart from the cultural differences of having to work in, you know, I think I was traveling to over 20 countries in a year for a period of time and trying to keep up with all of the nuances and changes in all the different markets um, and uh, some of the subtleties that exist out there. Probably one of the hardest things was really just trying to get everyone to pull in the same direction. So right at the very, very beginning, the very first insight we had on this was it felt glaringly obvious that everybody would want more tickets sold and that the box office growth was what the cinemas would want and what the studios would want and what the distributors would want. And if we could show a way to bring it all together and make that happen, um, then you know everyone was going to win, including Movio. And our original premise was actually to go out and give the software away to all of the cinema exhibitors and allow them to go and um, and use all of our software, but that we would then share the data with distributors so that we could then support their marketing campaigns. And that felt like a fairly logical business model. And in fact, we had built the entire software on that premise and had managed to raise capital on that premise only to hit a stone wall when we went into the market with that um, and realizing that there was a real desire for, um, for cinemas to have control and ownership of their data there was a real desire for them to keep that connection with their customers and that the relationship between exhibition and distribution because of the 80 year history wasn't as simple as I just described. So I think that was a really big learning that, you know, that it's not always obvious um, how uh, um, you know, something needs to be structured. And um, we had to work around that and over time. We had found ways to overcome it. But I think trying to bring exhibition and distribution together for a common goal of, um, of growing box office revenue was, was always the hardest challenge for us. Well, you talked about some of the, the work-related achievements a second ago. So parking them for a moment, what are some of your favorite memories uh, of your time at Movio? Yeah, look, I, I think like so many people in this industry, one of the coolest things about being uh, in the movie space is getting a chance to meet the, or, or even rub shoulders with some of the uh, the actors and, and directors who make these films. Uh, it's hard not to be starstruck. And I had a, a moment a couple of years ago where I was uh, had the opportunity to speak in front of um, the industry at, uh, at CinemaCon uh, to announce that, uh, that using our software in the previous year, Harvard University had verified that Movio had generated uh, about a quarter of a billion dollars in incremental box office with our customers. Uh, and that was extremely exciting to be able to get up and, and announce that. So I suppose I was about to be um, you know, pretty proud of that moment. And then to walk into the green room and the only other people in the room were, were Jack Black, Eli Roth, Kate Blanchett, uh, Kevin Hart and Ryan Gosling and me uh, and uh, no other people, no entourage, no nothing. Uh, it was quite intimidating, uh, quite remarkable, but even better was after I finished speaking, I came back and all of them were sitting around a couch uh, watching me on a screen. And I thought that was that's a pretty cool moment. So uh, yeah, I think for me that was uh, completely starstruck and it blew my mind and I really am going to miss things like that. Did you play dumb, mate, and ask what their names were? No, I, di I didn't. I dribbled a little bit, though, and wasn't as cool as I'd hoped I'd be. I've replayed it in my mind about the kind of things I would have said um, if I had a little bit more style. I have seen a photo of you with uh, Jack Black and Eli Roth. Which of the others did you make take the photo of you? I actually don't remember who took that photo. It has an upward trajectory, so I thought it might be Kevin Hart. Yeah, no, I don't, don't actually remember who took that photo. I don't even remember the photo being taken. I think I was a little bit sort of uh, airheaded. <laughs> So looking into that uh, William Palmer crystal ball of yours, what are your top predictions for the cinema industry over the next decade? 
Yeah, it's hard to call it exactly, but I'll throw a few out there that I think will will probably happen. I think right at the top of the list, uh, I think film studios are bringing their various um, channels, so home entertainment and theatrical, much closer together. I think that we've already seen that and the pandemic has, has accelerated that. I think they will then work to optimise box office. So the goal will be, what is the formula that's going to optimise the box office for each of these pieces of content through all of the different channels that I've got available? And they'll be looking at things far more holistically than ever before. Uh, and so that could mean things like uh, you have much uh, shorter windows, which we already know that that's already happened, but I think that they will extend on really big films. So whilst there'll be a minimum number of days, they will extend those on big films to make sure that they get the best box office return possible. Uh, I think you'll see um, potentially a rotation of content could increase. So there could be, um, because of the shorter runtime on so many films being that they finish sooner in cinema, there might be an opportunity for more films to play in theatres. I could see a scenario potentially in the future where you might walk into a multiplex and look up on the screen and say, make your decision on what you're going to see when you enter the cinema. Um, and so I think that could change. Uh, but I still think blockbusters are going to be, you know, are going to hold up what is box office. I really do think... There are films that are meant to be seen on the big screen and those big films will probably get bigger uh, and there'll be more put into them uh, than ever before, which is, you know, which is great for all of us. So, yeah, I think that's probably the key things. Um, do you have any parting thoughts or advice for the industry? Yeah, look, I think um, the, the goal's got to be to focus on the moviegoer. You know, like there's so much things that you can think about in the industry and there's so many places that you could put your, your energy and your focus but if everybody's focus was on the moviegoer collectively as an industry and bringing them back to the theatre, then I think you know we're going to have the whole the whole uh, industry pulling in the right direction. Uh, and I think that starts with working together uh, and working together on awareness, getting moviegoers' attention. And I, I think that's going to get harder and harder. There are so many different digital channels that uh, people now learn about content. How do you find them? How do you uh, reach them? How do you get their attention when you do reach them is going to become, I think, one of the biggest challenges because you've got to try and attract back uh, and win back moviegoers that have now left the, the cinema. Uh, you've got to try and bring new ones back into to get the experience. Uh, and I think that's critical. So awareness and attention and working together on that would be my number one. And then my number two is it's got to get easier to buy tickets. It really has to be once you've got my attention, you have to be able to close me and get me to buy a ticket as soon as you have my attention. Uh, and I think that's going to come down to you know, integrated tickets everywhere, um, pricing that's more dynamic based around the contents uh, appeal, um, you know, access to, to tickets in different places that we're you know, not necessarily just in a cinema foyer or on a cinema website. Uh, and, and then obviously I think experience is going to come down to the last thing. And I don't want to harp on too much about that, but the cinema experience does have to uh, to uh, exceed that that can happen in our own living rooms. And that's going to be hard in the next couple of years because CapEx is hard to come by. But that doesn't stop the industry from working on making service better or um, hyper-personalised um, communication and content. Those kind of things can be done relatively cheaply. So I think it's those three things. It's, it's getting the consumer's attention. It's making it easy for them to buy tickets. And it's always improving the experience. And, and those things together will, will win the moviegoers back and make sure the industry thrives. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more there. Hey, Will, uh, it's really common knowledge at Movio that your favourite movie is The Princess Bride. Uh, I'd be keen to know why. It's not to defend it. It's a great choice. But for you, what makes it your favourite? Um, I think the, uh, the... I mean, it's hilariously funny. I think that's probably one part of it. 
the warmth that runs through that film the whole way through. But for me, it's the memory of, of me and my brother and my dad every year sitting around watching that film. And we were relatively old when we first watched that film. It wasn't a film I learned about as a child, um, but it just had components in it that always spoke to us. And even to this day, we'll be watching it on Christmas Day, uh, sitting down and, and, and laughing our ass off, as we always did to that, um, that hilarious film. So, yeah, no, it's a, it's a great, great piece of content. I know I've said it to you a number of times in the last couple of months. You will be sorely missed by all of us. Um, we've had some great, great times together. All the very best for the future. Thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, we'll catch you for a beer, especially when Simon's in town as well. We'll get the three of us together. But thank you again. And um, I guess one of the, the benefits of this platform is a lot of people listen. So I just want to say thank you publicly to as many people who can hear for the opportunity and for the leadership over the last seven years. All the best. Thank you, Simon. Thank you, Matthew. And all the best to you too as well. So moving on to next week, Matthew, I can't wait. Really looking forward to reporting some of the record-breaking Spider-Man No Way Home grosses from next weekend. I think every market around the world, uh, it's going to be a huge shot in the arm. Uh, just looking at some of the pre-sales numbers, and these are pretty pretty common across most markets. It's tracking around 85 to 90% of Avengers Endgame pre-sales four days out from opening, um, which we all know went under gross $357 million in its opening weekend domestically. Uh, so I can't wait to see where Spider-Man No Way Home ends up at the end of Sunday trade next weekend and then speaking to yourself and everybody next Monday on those uh, on those results. Yeah, I think I'm likely to be giving the least insightful uh, audience breakdown for Spider-Man No Way It's tracking. I think uh, my audience breakdown is just going to be everybody, but uh, let's keep our <laughs> yeah. fingers crossed and not jinx it. The other thing is um, I'll be talking to Benjamin Zeckler, who's the CEO of Palace Cinemas, which is Australia's leading upscale cinema chain with, with 18 complexes across Australia. Uh, they, they have a particular focus on guest experience and customer, so we'll definitely talk to him about that. But Benjamin's been one of the leading voices on behalf of the industry as Australia navigated the pandemic. And it'd be great to get some of the tips and tricks um, and learnings that, that he picked up along the way, hopefully never to have to use again. Uh, but we'll check in with him on all of that. Yeah, great guy and a genuine industry leader. So uh, make sure you join us again behind the screens for that interview and for Spider-Man, and uh, we'll speak to you next week. Movio and Numero are two of the businesses within the Vista Group, the world-leading provider of technology solutions to the global film industry. For more moviegoer insights, be sure to visit movio.co and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. The Behind the Screens podcast is produced by Grace Furness and edited by Patrick Hanna. Additional support from Ryan Preventure, Georgia Culverwell and Christine Rizzolo.